Hello and welcome to the One Sealed Letter podcast, where we explore the legacy of letter writing and bring this beautiful art form into the 21st century. I'm your host, Kay Collier, the voice and warm body behind this podcast and Catherine Hastings and Company. Today, we're talking about a topic that's close to my heart, the Pony Express. I grew up in Lake Tahoe and was only about a mile from one of the Pony Express stops in Stateline, Nevada. Our guest today, Jim D. Felice, is a researcher, historian, author, and amazing storyteller. Some of his best-known works are military novels, including the number one New York Times bestseller, American Sniper, which was adapted into a film starring Bradley Cooper. Jim D. Felice's newest popular history, Westlake Lightning, chronicles the history of the Pony Express, and he tells the story in a much broader context, bringing in the background of the U.S. Postal Service, American finance, the gold rush, and the impending civil war. Jim D. Fleece and I also connected on the route, not actually at the same time, but talking about our travels. He drove from Sacramento, California to St. Joseph, Missouri, which is the entire route. And I've gone from St. Joseph, Missouri to Sacramento, California. I know you're going to love the way that he tells stories and you'll get a sense of the depth of his research. He's truly a meticulous researcher and his passion for the topic is palpable. Welcome, Jim D. Felice. I thought we could start in just talking a little bit about the overall history. Could you tell us some about the Pony Express in general, how long it ran, and some common misconceptions? Sure. Um, actually, you know, I, I guess what we should, before we start busting myths, we, we should say that the image that everybody has or, you know, of the Pony Express, you know, these dashing young men on their uh, flying ponies, you know, it, it's, um, it's yeah, more or less true. I mean, you had uh, very athletic uh, young men and they were, as far as we can tell, they were all men, uh, roughly 18 to, you know, kind of mid-20s for the most part, uh, you know, and they would ride uh, very often 10 hours through all sorts of weather, through, depending on where it was, because the whole route is roughly, you know, it's a couple of thousand miles. Uh, they might be, you know, for the most part, they might be running, riding rather, through desert, through, uh, you know, up mountains, down mountains through snowstorms, rainstorms, the occasional very nice day. Uh, and, you know, being in a saddle for 10 hours or upwards of 10 hours for the, uh, as in, kind of as an average, you have to, you know, you have to be somewhat athletic and you have to be very energetic. Obviously, you have to be good with horses, uh, which are changing well, roughly every 10 miles or so. Uh, so, you know, our image of, you know, kind of the wind blowing through their hair and, you know, that just kind of just that dashing, the dashing image, uh, yeah, is, is, is actually fairly correct. The Pony Express riders of the day, they're kind of almost like the rock stars or the rap stars of their day, you know, the athletes, you know, the, you know they were well regarded for the most part were in the places that they rode where there were a lot of people. Of course, there were also uh, places where there weren't a lot of people because they were going from the idea of the Pony Express was to connect um, connect the kind of the populated East uh, and you know in what we now think of as the Midwest with the you know with the 
uh, West Coast, with California specifically, where there was where there was gold among other things, uh, and connect those two halves. At the time, the and this is just before the uh, Civil War. Uh, you know, there were well, there were no highways certainly, and uh, the transcontinental railroad was kind of uh, you know still still a dream. Uh, and telegraph, the telegraph had uh, had actually been invented, but was not yet stretching between those two areas. And the Pony Express comes about for a variety of reasons, uh, but you know, at its heart, uh, America wanted to you know keep in connection. Uh, and the post office was the way that, you know, that people, the primary way that people communicated at the time. And the Pony Express basically had a contract with the, uh, you know, with the mail service, with the U.S. government to deliver the mail from uh, basically across the country. But it operated uh, primarily from uh, St. Joe, Missouri, uh, all the way out to uh, the terminus was Sacramento. In California. That's fascinating. And at that time, kind of pre-Pony Express, if you were to send a letter from the East Coast, because there wasn't the Panama Canal, we hadn't had Teddy Roosevelt yet, it needed to go by ship all the way around the bottom of South America before it could come up to the West Coast of America. Do you have a sense of kind of how long it took traditionally before we got the Pony Express that could do it much quicker? It could take, it, we're talking months. Um, they did, uh, they were able at some points uh, to kind of shorten that uh, down from, I forget whether it's six months, down to, you know, the amazingly blazing speed of three months by actually having some relays in, uh, you know, kind of in the Central America area. Uh, where, you know, a steamer would stop at a port uh, and then, you know, letters or packages or whatever was being delivered would get off, be, be driven across uh, by coach to the other to the other coast, and then taken up by packet or by by a ship uh, up to you know uh, ports in California. But the whole idea that you could get uh, information, that you could get a letter from uh, from Missouri, from St. Joe's, Missouri, to uh, to California in ten days was uh, was just electrifying at, at the time uh, when the Pony Express the first the first time it kind of kicks off. There's huge there's a huge celebration uh, and everybody's just kind of waiting to you know to to see the first rider take off uh, from uh, from Kansas uh, and. And the amazing thing, you know, if you add a couple of days in, if I was doing business in New York, I could, um, you know, mail a letter from Wall Street, uh, literally, where, where incidentally, the Pony Express had its own, had its own offices, and that letter would go uh, via various means, but generally by train, out to uh, out to St. Joe's, and then from Pony from you know, Pony Express out to Sacramento. So I might, uh, you know, be sending information about how to, how much gold to, uh, you know, to send back east or, uh, or whatever, whatever business I was doing in the remarkable time of only two weeks, uh, which again, before, before the telegraph stretched across America and before uh, railroads w were able to do that, that was just an amazing amazing blazing speed it was like going from uh dial up uh 
to, you know, the internet that we have today. Mm -hmm. When you touched on something about it, not just being about mail, but it's about commerce and there wasn't a federal banking system. And correct me if I'm wrong on this, but it was also a way for them to be able to get financial information more easily across the country. So it wasn't really just somebody writing a, lo a love letter or a family letter to somebody that was on the West Coast. There was a really strategic position that the Pony Express was trying to take as a business leader as well. Well, I'm sure there were a couple of love letters somewhere in there, you know, and, you know, will you marry me? You know, you want that quick answer, you know, you, you yeah. need to know. You're willing to spend the money. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. You know, but I think, but I, I think we're pretty, we're mostly sure that most of the things that went by Pony Express were, you know, business related. Now, the Pony Express is happening right before uh, the Civil War. And everybody knows that, you know, that the conflict is coming. And one of the reasons that that contract, the most important reasons that the contract gets let and the, you know, the, and the Pony Express comes into existence is the, the, um, the interest in the North and in, in Congress uh, wanted uh, to keep the country connected and keep, remember, California is not only, you know, this really exotic place if you live in the east but it's it's also the place where you know they had recently discovered gold and um you certainly need gold to to run i mean gold is real money in those days and uh, you certainly need gold to run the country especially if you're thinking that there's going to be a conflict uh, so um you know so it's very important to have mail contracts for the pony, as as important as the Pony Express is in our imagination, it's it's just one part of kind of the business of keeping the country connected, and one part of the business of the companies that actually ran it. Uh, you know, there's also there are also um, you know stages which could bring you know could bring the mail much slower, uh, but also carried packages um, and. And um, as you're alluding to, uh, kind of not just real shipments of money, but of notes, so that that would be good, um, you know, in the banking system. So rather than having to transport the actual physical gold, for instance, at some point in the, you know, at some point you could transport a note that said, this this note is worth, let's say, a thousand dollars. And um, you know, and the banking system would pick that up, uh, and that was part of what uh, the guys that in, that were responsible for the Pony Express, Alexander Majors, William Russell, and William uh, Waddell. That's part of what they were aiming at, and it seems like kind of a, you know, it's like why would they do this all this elaborate you know, organization with ponies and, and stage coaches and what's, you know, what, why are they, what are they all about? How do they, how can they make any money from doing that? And um, as a matter of fact, uh, one company uh, about, um, about 20 years before had done a very similar thing in the East and uh, was so successful that uh, it remains with us today. It's the American, it's American Express and, you 
know, we still have the credit cards. Uh, at the same time, um, another company, uh, which actually was a competitor with uh, the Pony Express companies, kind of really more with the parent companies, uh, was also trying to do the same thing. And as a matter of fact, would end up uh, not only getting a viable contract, but uh, superseding the people who ran the Pony Express, uh, probably because they had a bus better business uh, plan. Uh, they also are still with us, and um, they're called Wells Fargo. And so the image that we have of Wells Fargo with the horses drawing the, what's, um, it's not a carriage, the stagecoach, <laughs> excuse me. The, yeah, the image of Wells Fargo driving the stagecoach, so it's actually not too far off. I can imagine with something like Pony Express, they weren't galloping the whole time. Um, but with Wells Fargo, they also had, as you're saying, a, a regional way of transporting banknotes, and that then led into a larger financial institution. Well, what happens with kind of the the Wells Fargo's business model um, relies a lot on in, in the West and during this period. I, I guess I should kind of limit it down a little bit, but they are um, they're kind of very cooperative with small, many smaller companies to make uh, kind of the deliveries and to, um, you know, to, to handle certain aspects of their, of the system that they're building. Mm -hmm. um, they also have uh, what they call the Southern route uh, across, across America. Mm -hmm. And what that ends up doing is kind of spreading the, the risk uh, to the company. They also have much deeper pockets because the principles of Wells Fargo or some of the principles are associated with uh, the, um, with American Express mm -hmm. or the people that you know end up with American Express. Uh, Majors, uh, Russell and Waddell, uh, by contrast, they basically want to do it, uh, do it all themselves. And they were not uh, as well financed as uh, you know as their competitors, mm -hmm. and that kind of led to their their demise. Mm -hmm. uh, there's some thinking that uh, this is undoubtedly true that uh, they were after the they wanted to get the contract uh, that to deliver mail very quickly. The express contractor, what ends up being the Pony Express contract. Uh, at least partly because they they had serious cash flow problems, and mm -hmm. the contract at the time represented uh, well, it was a, a million dollars. They end up getting a contract for about half of that, mm -hmm. uh, unfortunately for them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But their their problems all along were that they were undercapitalized. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so, for our audience, the three people he'd mentioned. Majors, Russell, and Waddell, they had founded the Pony Express, and they had pretty different personalities. They, from your book, I've learned that they complemented each other's skill sets pretty well. Could you just tell us a little bit more about them and kind of how they came together and what each one brought to the organization? Sure. Alexander Majors was um, kind of your rough and ready, you know, image of, you know, your kind of frontiers man. Uh, he, uh, you know, the guy that would roll up his sleeves and herd, you know, 
urged the oxen on when they got stuck. And he was the, he was the real hands-on guy. Uh, the biggest part of their business was delivering, was really delivering goods and they would deliver them in, you know, with uh, these large wagons and ox trains. Mm-hmm. And you know, it was a very physical, as you imagine, very physical job. And he totally you know, fit the bill. That was him. He he knew that he knew the West probably as good as anybody um, in that period. And he mm-hmm. had visited, you know, just countless places. Um, William Waddell was more. He's typically regarded as kind of the quiet. Uh, the quiet man of the three, and he was a shopkeeper, and it's kind of looked on as the financial and kind of the staid accountant type, uh, though he wasn't really an accountant. He uh, he ran some some stores. Uh, he kind of handled that end of the business, and um, not very flashy. And I don't mean to insult accountants. Uh, but he, if you have the stereotype of a very, you know, personally conservative with a lowercase c uh, man, that would he would fit that stereotype. Mm-hmm. And then there was William Russell, who was uh, kind of the opposite, the absolute opposite of both of those in, in different ways. And he was, he was a businessman, and uh, in many ways, kind of a, a wannabe bon vivant. Bon vivant. Uh, I, he, you know, it's a picture, I believe, in, in the book that of him with a top hat and cane and, you know, dressed to the nines. And he was, um, I, I don't want to call him a wheeler dealer because that, that uh, maybe he was a pretty smart guy. He was definitely a visionary. But he was the he was the one who you know dealt with uh, not only the politicians in Congress back in uh, Washington D.C., but he also dealt with the financiers in uh, New York and on Wall Street, uh, trying to you know arrange financing and make sure that they had uh, enough capital for this for the dream uh, that he had. Um, they were. They were remarkable. They they happened to have been in the same geographic location, with you know roughly the idea of you know transporting goods and and, and uh, moving information at the same time. But if you want to imagine people that uh, were more unlike, and yet uh, somehow work together in in, uh, in business, I'm not sure you could come up with anyone. Certainly not in that period. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, it's striking when I when you were writing about them how they did have these skills that went so well together, but also were so different in many ways. With I mean, even just comparing majors to Russell, how neither one of them was a kind of quiet behind the scenes type as Waddell, but they both um, fared very differently in history. And that's a little, maybe a little bit off topic for where we're we're talking about, but with Russell, you know, that he was such a supporter of slavery and that um, Majors has a legacy that, you know, there's still museums about him. Um, Today, actually one of the um, audience members, I'd had them submit some questions ahead of time and she's a descendant of Majors and sent all this information about the family history there. Um, So I don't know, it's it's very interesting how they seem to work so well together, but then also how different each one is. It almost seems like Russell's strength was also in some ways part of his downfall. Um, 
could you just tell us a little bit about kind of what went wrong? I know we have some major changes in the, the climate around the country that are affecting the Pony Express, but there were more with bonds, um, or I guess Russell didn't actually have the bonds. Could you, you tell me a little bit more about that? Well, it, it is kind of detailed, so we will we'll leave all the the kind of the nitty gritty to the to the book and uh, and and anybody that really wants to to dig in into it, there was actually a congressional investigation, um, you know, f uh, following the discovery of uh, the missing the missing bonds. But uh, to kind of encapsulate it uh, shortly, in order to uh, basically. They, he was he, he was skating checks. I mean, is a, probably the easiest way to think about it. Uh, the the contract they got the contract that they had to deliver the mail said that they would uh, receive payments at certain intervals. And the government, being the government, uh, even then, was not necessarily always you know forthcoming in, in coming out with uh, those payments. And at some point. Uh, someone decided that, uh, or he decided that he could get cash more quickly from uh, the bankers, in New York, by by showing by proving that you know the contract was coming, and they did that, and then he and then he um, ended up getting what, kind of in layman's terms, we'll call them promissory notes from the government. And um, and he would take that to a to a banker and say, you know, well, listen, I'll pay you if you give me you know twenty thousand dollars now. I'll give you thirty thousand dollars when I get this when I get this payment, and you know, and so on. And that would have been great, I guess, had uh, he not you know shown the same note to you know several different people. So kind of almost like a little bit of a pyramid. Uh, pyramiding, you know, his, his debt. Um, and then at some point, you know, things got so tight that uh, he went uh, kind of a step beyond uh, there and with, uh, with someone uh, who had access in the government to, uh, to money that, to bonds really, that belonged to Indian tribes, not to, not to the U.S. government. Uh, he basically tried to do the same thing and came into uh, with those bonds, which he came into possession with. Uh, and uh, eventually the whole kind of house of cards fell when uh, they had to make payments or somebody asked where the, where the bonds were and <laughs> they weren't, they weren't where they were supposed to be. Yeah. And then kind of the whole house of cards that he had built or he was trying to kind of skate along with just kind of collapsed. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Thank you for explaining that so succinctly. I'm fumbling with my words of how to how to explain it, um, but that, that was very clear. And just from my notes, so he was arrested at the end of 1860, but the Pony Express started in spring 1860 and then went until November 1861. Um, so I don't know. Do you have any insights that you could share about how his arrest and then being held in jail without bail affected the company. I can imagine with some of the work that Pony Express did, they really tried to have good PR with getting, you know, information 
to the California coast as quickly as possible or vice versa. They were really smart about their PR, but then we have William Russell borrowing bonds and not and basically using them to get loans that couldn't be substantiated. Um, do you have any insights for how that arrest affected the company? Well, the the truth is the company, and, and it wasn't just the Pony Express, but the uh, you know the Pony Express had always been seen as a loss leader for their bigger companies, uh, and the the uh, what happens when you know when Russell by the time Russell is arrested, uh, the company is in such financial trouble that um, <laughs> that that they're not. The, Getting out of it is not uh, is really not going to be possible. Uh, but what's happening on the ground, though, is the operations, uh, the the you know the operations of the Pony Express itself, kind of continue. Uh, they kind of just just keep going for months. Uh, and you know, you mentioned earlier about or we were talking earlier about majors and how these guys were different. And I you know I think that uh, that the fact that uh, the employees of, of not just the pony, but the you know the larger companies, uh, but especially the pony, kept working. Part of that was due to you know the majors who had a lot of integrity and whom you know the station masters at least would have known you know personally, and uh, and also the importance that was attached to the you know the the job of getting the mail across i mean the these are relatively young men and they are taking their their task very very seriously uh we know from you know we know from the um, the, the records of the pony express were lost or purpose whether purposely or accidentally it is up to debate but they were they were lost but we do know from uh from the covers of you know letters from the trips that all but one of the you know the kind of bi-weekly for the most time most part they had bi-weekly uh, trips in both directions that uh that the mail was always delivered uh there was only one run where the mail was lost in somehow during it was really kind of during it was probably collateral damage during a um, indian during a small a brief Indian War, uh, but that mailbag actually ends up uh, being found or, or returned to the pony uh, to to the uh, post office at you know a few months later. Mm -hmm. uh, so it, it's remarkable, and they keep doing it, you know, and it keeps getting delivered more or less within you know a ten day you know ten days. Uh, for some reason, which no, which I can't figure out what the answer to this is, but it always seemed to take one day longer to go east to west than west to east. I, I, I don't know. Maybe if you were going east to west, the bars were better and you stayed there longer in the saloons. I, 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 can't, I can't explain it, but for some reason, going east to west always took a little bit longer. Hmm. That's fascinating. Uh, yeah, I wonder what it was. One, uh, I'm glad you brought up some of the the culture around the Pony Express too. The oath that the riders took. I'll make sure to put in the show notes. A question I ha had about that, though, since we're talking about the 
possibly stopping at bars along the way, which <laughs> they clearly would not have done. And I ever heard that majors would occasionally show up in, in different parts of the West um, to kind of check that everything was going well. But in the oath, it was said that as long as they were an employee of Russell Majors and Waddell, that they wouldn't drink or use profane language or do anything ungentlemanly. On the other hand, though, they were also celebrities. So do you have any indication of what life was like when they were in Sacramento or when they were in St. Joe being celebrities? Were they then able to drink or were they still needing to be kind of not puritanical, but more acting like gentlemen, um, or maybe they could do both. I don't know. Do, do you have any insights on that? I, I, well, we're, we're talking about a wide expanse, like a, a really large area. So anything we say, <laughs> you know, what we talk about in Kansas, for instance, which was relatively developed, uh, you know, compared to, to uh, say, Utah, at the time, it was just a territory, and it was now Utah and Nevada. Um, you know, obviously, it's going to be going to be a few differences. Um, the the um, they they did take an oath not to not to swear, and um, I, I, I and that was that applied to everyone, whether they were a Pony Express rider or they worked in the stable or they you know they were working on the ox. Uh, you know, the ox uh, coaches and, and stuff. I, I I don't know. That's that's very hard to imagine that they never that they never cursed, and it's even harder to imagine that they didn't have a drink every now and then. But um, mm -hmm. at least every now and then, yeah. the, the riders themselves, obviously, when they're you know when they're specifically working, uh, you know that is the the horses are not moving at a full gallop certainly uh, certainly not the whole time but uh, you know but it is it's something that you really really have to concentrate on and you have to be you know you have to be uh, careful about so they're not they're not they're certainly not stopping the party and um i would i would wager that the the riders at least are pretty darn you know sober while they're going through Mm -hmm. Now there were that didn't necessarily apply to every character uh, or everybody that was uh, employed. There are some fantastic stories about uh, a man uh, who worked, among other things, in kind of his biggest role with the, while he was with the uh, Pony Express, was as a station master, and that was Jack Slade. And uh, Jack, we know a little bit of Jack and people that are. Uh, Mark Twain aficionados, or like to dip into Mark Twain, may have met, mm -hmm. may have made the acquaintance of uh, Jack, but um, it, it was it was said that um, he never he never met a, a bottle of whiskey that he didn't uh, didn't make his acquaintance with, um, and and he was certainly in, uh, certainly uh, a, an important employee of the Pony Express, so. Uh, uh, yeah, and we'll have um, more in the show notes where I can link to some of the, the characters that we're mentioning. But since you're starting to bring up some of these kind of larger than life figures that we have around the mythology of the pony, I thought it might be neat to talk a little bit about Buffalo Bill and the extent that he played. I know with the lack of records that we have from the pony, there isn't really a way to confirm for sure that he was a part of the Pony Express. And from some of the research I've done, it's 
it's it's hard to tell. It seems like he was very good at hyperbole, obviously, but he did have some association with it as well. So can you just tell us a little bit about Buffalo Bill and how he was maybe involved or to what extent he was involved that we know and how he helped make the Pony Express a legend? Well, I would say that without a doubt, Buffalo Bill was the most important person who never worked for the Pony Express, <laughs> but uh, was critical in its uh, in in everything, pretty much in everything we know and why we remember today. Uh, if there is no, as I said, the records for the for the Pony Express uh, were either not kept in, in some instances and some of the ones that were were disappeared um, and the, uh, there's no there's certainly nothing no definitive evidence i should say that he that he worked for the pony express it's possible that he worked as a uh, as a stable boy cleaning up and maybe he was a substitute rider um, but his claim pretty pretty much the people everybody like you the people that have studied it uh have come away saying eh, i don't uh, i don't think so however he did claim to have uh ridden for the pony express and um the remarkable thing about that was that this wasn't just, you know, kind of an older middle-aged guy, you know, fantasizing about his youth. Uh, this was one of the most, at the time, one of the most famous people in America talking about his youth. And um, so people did, you know, tend to pay attention to him because he was famous because he was doing these Wild West shows, mm -hmm. which were these phenomenal entertainments. Uh, whether and they would be in places like New York City, where you know they would have a huge—it's um, almost a carnival, really—as well as a you know as well as a display of all sorts of uh, Western stories and you know cool things like uh, trick shooting and and riding horses. But they would also, um, as as he got more and more famous, they would just kind of come to a different town, take essentially take over the town for a couple of days. Everyone would go and they would, you know, have a great old time, uh, you know, being entertained and you know, probably, you know, spending a few dollars or so uh, at various, for various things. But the, one of the great things uh, about his shows is that they would, they almost always included in a little vignette celebrating the, a Pony Express and recreating what the Pony Express had done, um, you know, during, you know, back in 1860. And there were, were, you know, depending on where we're talking, you know, that was at least 20 years before, uh, 30 or 40 years in some cases. And um, there were great, you know, and if you went there and you watched it, you would see this young rider, good looking young uh, rider just riding out and then being harassed by all sorts of bad guys and Indians and you know all sorts of fun guns would go off and you'd have a lot of excitement and that image uh, remained was a very popular image at the time and a uh, popular part of the show and uh, you know it's kind of remained in, in popular imagination 
Now, he was a great showman. And I have to say that, you know, that memory of, you know, or pseudo memory of things and how the pony really, you know, operated is, is great and really, you know, sticks with you because it's so exciting. Well, the, you know, the reality is that, you know, Native Americans really didn't, uh, with the exception of that one uh, Indian War, the Pyramid War, uh, Native Americans really didn't bother the uh, the riders, and um, as far as we can tell, they weren't they weren't really harassed by bandits. They didn't carry money per se, so there really was very little reason to try to to rob them, uh, and they usually had the best horses you know, in the area. So if someone was going to bother them, rather than uh, taking a gun, which some of them didn't even, didn't even ride with, uh, they would just, you know, kind of kick the horse and all of a sudden they're, you know, they're gone. Uh, in most cases, the, the young men that were, you know, riding for the pony were from that area and they knew the terrain very, very well. So it would be, it'd be hard to, there'd be a lot easier targets to, to you know, to uh, try to rob. But it sure did make uh, great vignettes for the Wild West show. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, I can imagine that was a common theme for other skits he would do also with all the other characters in the West of prospectors and the wagon trains coming through, that there was that kind of good guy, bad guy narrative. Uh, yeah, and, and the, you know, the, Paiute Wars that the Pony Express went through where they had a couple fatalities. It is hard through the lens of history understanding that in some ways because I think, well, it's so different in each region of the U.S. for the relations that everyone has when I think about even just, you know, reading the Lewis and Clark journals, how there's parts where they're literally relying on the Native Americans to save them. Granted, this is about 55 or 60 years earlier um, that that's happening. And then parts where they're, you know, in fights and and running for their lives as well. Um, But I mean, going through an area where there's an active war going on, it is hard to to kind of tell the the narrative of that event. But there's um, an interesting story with a rider coming away who'd been shot um, in the arm and then in the face and in your um, book you'd mentioned how the the primary defense and I think you alluded to this here too the primary defense really was the horse and being able to get away because they had the fastest horses and they had um, they were cavalry horses or California horses um, I guess depending on where they were coming from do you know any more about the the horses that they rode or how they had kind of the most technical equipment, even if they weren't, you know, carrying a lot of money or other goods that would make it worth robbing them? Well, well, the horses, they were, you know, they're they're ponies in, you know, and by pony, I don't mean, you know, kind of a baby horse. They're, you know, kind (laughs) of uh, more like what we would think of as a Mustang. And they, um, they were bought because to be, at least in theory, you know, the best, the best horses available, you know, in the area. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, you know, they weren't, when we think of, 
I, I think a lot of people think of Arabian, you know, you know, your thoroughbreds or whatever. That's that's not quite true. Um, but they were, you know, they they did tend to be the the best horses that you could get. They were paying a lot of money uh, mm-hmm. for it for them. Uh, for the horses at the time. Um, they had special, um, I'll call them, they'll call them saddlebags, kind of to use a kind of term everybody kind of knows, where, you know, you would put the, where they would put the mail in and uh, they would have, um, the, they were, the mail that was going to go, say, let's say from Kansas to Sacramento or, you know, or, or the other way would be locked up. Um, and then there was always a pouch that was where, because there were stations along the way, you could actually send a letter. Let's say you're in uh, St. Joe and you had business in Denver. So you could send something to, you know, to that area. And even if, uh, there wasn't actually a station where you were sending it, they, you know, could be dropped off at that station and then go from, you know, from that spot to you know kind of a satellite or, or what have you and um, or the city down the road or the the town down the you know across the river or whatever um, and so the the letters that were in those bags would be you know that bag would not be uh, would not be locked mm-hmm. uh, they were very lightweight because as you can imagine as you're being charged in at generally by the by the weight um you know, and that was, you know, that was, that was their real equipment, really. That was their high-tech, high-tech equipment. It, interestingly enough, the, the pony, a lot of people say that the telegraph, you know, kind of killed the Pony Express. And, you know, just, that is true to, you know, to, to some extent, but that doesn't mean that, that they didn't understand, they were actually using that technology uh, to, you know, to get information and, you know, they kind of were, uh, you know, integrating it really into their system. The, in my book, West Like Lightning, the kind of, stru- that's kind of structured around uh, the a trip uh, announcing the results of Lincoln's election. And the way that that information, that that trip really starts is uh, from a telegram. Uh, so, you know, the, the the men that started the Pony Express understood that, you know, that they were, it wasn't just a loss leader there, you know, they understood what the technology was coming. They had uh, located one of the reasons that they locate their, uh, their uh, home station in, in Kansas has to do with the, with this easy access to, you know, to a train line that could connect uh, further east. Um, although I have to say, they also worked the best uh, best land deal uh, from you know from the town fathers that I've ever seen. I mean, the guys that uh, build these sports stadiums, you know, they're they're in a much lower league than uh, Majors Russell and Waddell because they yeah. they got every concession uh, that you can think of uh, from the town fathers. Uh, and they had each, you know, some of the towns bidding against each other in Missouri and in Kansas uh, before they actually decided on St. Joe's. And uh, the interesting thing about St. Joe's is that if you think about it, 
if you're going from east to west or even west to east, you know, and you're setting up for speed, you probably would set up on the closer side of the uh, Missouri of the river. The Missouri uh, happens yeah. to be there, not the far side. Um, but you know, the, if you get a much better deal from the people on the far side, well, you know, what's a little what's a little uh, trip across the river? Right. So the guys that would leave when they would leave uh, St. Joe's, they would they would rush down the hill, the big hill, uh, from where they from where they their headquarters and where they had the mail. They rush down the hill and and you know just breakneck speed. You know, and you can imagine, you know, just just the enormous speed of this horse and the rider and how psyched they are and how you know and then you have you know, all the townspeople are out there and I'll, I'll bet there's a young lady or two you know maybe that might catch their fancy and they're sure to as they pass her you know they're riding really really quickly and they race down and then and then they have to wait for a boat or maybe hopefully <laughs> the boat is already waiting and it kind of plotters across and then you know they're, then they're off again so yeah, yeah. um but they did, but they did get a great deal. I gotta mm -hmm. say that. Well, that's something that for everyone listening, when you read this book, there's so much more around the history to the Pony Express, the the, the deals that Jim's, Jim's mentioning, but also just the climate of the times. And I know we're we're getting close to to time here, but do you want to maybe just quickly touch a little bit on the climate? So we're on the precipice of the Civil War. I know you can't quickly touch on this, but maybe just um, just a little bit about kind of the context that the Pony Express is in. You alluded to the um, election, and then we've talked a little bit about the Telegraph, um, but other things that might be affecting the overall climate of the Pony Express. Well, sure. I mean, you know, this is the uh, well, that's kind of between the you know bloody Kansas and the Civil War, and you know all in that time, and you know uh, there's also a lot of conflict in you know in Missouri, um, you know pro pro South, pro North, pro slavery, anti you know anti slavery, and um, it's just a there's just a lot of a lot of conflict. Uh, that's going on at the same time you have you know the north the northern interests in congress wanting a connection with with california and california's gold and you have kind of the same thing really going on with the with the south and uh, we get into this a little bit in the book that um, you know there's kind of rival roots and one of the reasons that uh, that the Pony Express be, gets the gets the contract to deliver the you know to deliver the mail is because their route is going to go through uh, through the northern territories that the you know that the powers that be in Washington feel will you know still be part of the you know part of the Union as opposed to you know um, you know Wells Fargo which has to make a much harder case. That their route, you know, for their route, which is further south, um, it, it's just a huge. I mean, you know, like the Civil War is a civil war. Uh, it was the biggest, certainly the biggest uh, event, uh, you know, in America's history in the uh, absolutely in the 19th century. Um, you know, the ramifications are still being felt. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the things for the Pony Express, not only does it 
you could also make an argument that the you know the conflict kind of and the uncertainty uh, affected you know affected businesses uh, affected westward migration and uh, you know all of those things which helped helped uh, sour the business climate and you know in directly or indirectly uh, made it hard for the Pony Express to survive, as well as the, the parent companies. Uh, but the other thing, you know, kind of on a, um, if we get down to the, you know, individuals involved, it's just a, a lot of the young men uh, who rode during the Pony Express, you know, were of, were of age to, um, you know, to be involved in those conflicts when, con you know, when conflict came. Mm -hmm. And um, one of the reasons I think that, um, that Buffalo Bill's uh, stories, uh, you know, and shows were you know, were popular after the war, and people, I think, wanted to look back on something that was nostalgic, uh, but didn't have all of the baggage, say, that the, the Civil War did. When yeah. you're, if you're looking at the Civil War something about the civil war think about the civil war in 1880 or 90 or or you know, frankly into the 20th century you may very very well thinking about your father or your uncle who died um, you know so that's going to have obviously a certain kind of meaning whereas with the pony express you know oh yeah that was great you know it's exciting to you know man against nature or man and horse against nature, it has a much more positive uh, connotation. Mm. Yeah, well, and that's the narrative that has carried through to now. And when we think of the Pony Express, it's that image you've mentioned before of the wind in the man's hair and him speeding on a horse with just this mochila bag. And uh, I know you traveled the Pony Express route, and I read that you'd driven it from Sacramento to St. Joe. And you've mentioned some about the museums um, along the way, just some of the research that I've done. So can you just tell me a little bit about your trip and what sticks with you having gone through that land, some of which has totally changed and some of which probably looks the same as when they rode through? Um, it, it, researching the book, I did, I went, I actually went, um, and you know, from west to east. And um, it was, yeah, it was a phenomenal experience. Uh, I mostly did it by car. I did walk uh, some of the, you know, some of the trails in, in some parts. But the, the thing that I remember most, and there's, a, there's a, I have to mention, a phenomenal museum uh, in uh, St. Joe's, which you mentioned, uh, I think, when, yeah. you know, at the opener. And there's a small, you know, small little uh, Wells Fargo um, it's a small kind of mu museum um, in, you know, in Sacramento that if you're in Sacramento, you can spend an hour or, or so, you know, just visiting. But, um, but the thing for me on that trip was I would just, because uh, I, I, I had an more or less an itinerary and I was going to, you know, just go over the route. And I would, in most cases, just kind of show up at these very small, you know, town museums or, you know, and just, just kind of present myself. And the people that to, you know, 
every one of them were just so kind and so helpful mm. and uh, you know oh you got to look at this oh look at this look at that and, and uh, you know i could you know i they were so generous of their time it was just very you know just very they were sweet they were so informative and i learned so much uh you know there are so many and it's not just museums small museums connected with the pony express there are so many small museums in our towns our villages and in our cities that you know they're not just for locals and they're really kind of a storehouse of of information in most cases they're they're on shoestring budgets and you know they're mostly staffed by volunteers but they're a wonderful resource i, I realize that you know right now with uh with covid and, and, and things you know uh some of them oh, I, I would imagine a lot of them really are you know maybe closed or they have limited hours or something but they're definitely absolutely Know, worth the trip. Um, I was. Uh, I've heard that uh, there are. I've heard of two people that are doing the trail. One on horseback, and I expect he'll write a book. And another um, uh, person. She's. Uh, I think we believe she's riding the trail on a bicycle, and um, I think she's going to have now i don't know how much the virus has you know played with people's plans but i think that she's going to be posting um you know blog entries as she goes mm -hmm. uh which is kind of a, a backwards way of leading into the fact that there's actually a lot of resources uh available on the web uh including very very good maps um of you know, of the original route. And I can honestly say that I only got used, I used those maps the whole, pretty much the whole time. And I only got terribly, horribly, indescribably lost once. <laughs> so there you go. And if I, and if I only got lost once, I'm sure everybody can just, most people can just find their way just using those maps. Yeah. So everyone listening, turn off your smartphone. You don't need any navigation when you do this tra trail. You just look at the map and <laughs> you should be good. Well, there's uh, spots where you, there's spots where the cell phone won't work. I admit that may have changed <laughs> now. It's been a couple of years, but uh, I can tell you that, uh, that unfortunately I can tell you from experience. Yeah. Um, well, technology is always just get, getting in the way of our plans here with the, the Pony Express, um, the more connectivity we get. Uh, well, Jim, it's been just such a joy talking with you. And I feel like I could talk for hours learning from you about this topic because we've really just scratched the surface. But I'll include in the, the show notes the links to your book and your website and all of that. But is there a place that you'd prefer people to find you or, or follow your work? Uh, people can find me wherever they want to find me. That's, uh, that, that's great. Um, I do have a website. It's, uh, jimdfelice.com. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I, you know, you're welcome to, to check me out there. Uh, the book is called West Like Lightning and, um, you know, it's available at all the, you know, through Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Books a Million, uh, hopefully your local bookstore. And I know that if your local bookstore doesn't have it, they would be more than happy to to order it for you. I've gotten been very blessed with a lot of support from you know from local bookstores. I really appreciate it. Mm -hmm. 
Well, and someday after COVID, if there end up being more book tours, that's always the, the place to build the community. And uh, yeah, again, supporting those local shops. Um, well, thank you again. And uh, yeah, we'll have um, all the notes for everyone in the, the show notes below, but I recommend just um, getting a copy of the book, West Like Lightning. Again, we just scratched the surface, so there's so much more for you to learn. Great, well, thanks for having me. Once again, I'd like to thank Jim D. Felice for joining us on the podcast today and sharing so generously from his research about the Pony Express. Please check out his book, West Like Lightning. There's so much more to this fascinating story, and he goes much more in depth into the background of the Postal Service, American finance, the gold rush, and the impending Civil War. You're going to find it fascinating. In the show notes, you'll also find a link to his website and some of the resources that we mentioned. There's a link to the Pony Express Museum in St. Joseph, Missouri, and a timeline from the museum as well, so that you can get a sense of this rich but short-lived history of the Pony Express. Thank you.